And now, get growing with Farmer Fred. Talk650andKSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you and welcome to fall. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page at Twitter.com slash Farmer Fred Daily Garden Tips, lots of snark, and the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page where there was always a garden dialogue going on. And uh, one of the posts this week was my idea for a crop rotation pizza garden. Mm-hmm. Debbie Flower is here. You heard her mm-hmm in the background. Mm-hmm. There. There I can, we, mm-hmm. Yes. We will be discussing that concept of a circular garden. I want her to critique it. I just think it's a fine idea for re- remembering the, the value of crop rotation. So if you've got Facebook, uh, go to the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And a little bit later on, we will uh, explore the pizza garden. And there's the only things grown in the garden that you'd put on a pizza in this pizza garden would be, what, garlic and tomatoes. Right. The first time when you mentioned it to me, I thought, oh, yeah, I have a theme. You know, grow everything you need for salsa or everything you need for pizza. That's not what this is about. No, it's the design of a pizza pie cut into six slices. Right. Which can be adapted into other shapes as well. Yes, exactly. But, I mean, I'm a guy that likes squares, rectangles, and Mm -hmm. all my raised beds are squares or rectangles. Mm -hmm. But remembering where where a plant was one year and remembering to move it to a different plant area can be challenging just like it's challenging for me remembering what i said at 956 (laughs) on kfbk that i said we would talk about here when we got over here Uh i forget what that was but so with a pizza garden then it's easy to see the different slices and you know well if tomatoes grew here then next year they're going to grow over here Right. All right. So, and it just work clockwise. Yeah, work clockwise. And we we will talk about the the values of crop rotation. And the reason we're talking about this now is fall not only is for planting, it's for redesigning the landscape. It's for improving your landscape. It's for improving the health of your soil. Mm -hmm. This is the time of the year to do it. Mm -hmm. Did we finish up talking about fall color over there? Pretty much. The only thing we didn't talk about really were uh, what are your some of your favorite plants for fall color? Well, that and and sun. That sun is involved. In order for the reds to form, you have to have extra light energy. So if we have a lot of, we don't around here usually. But if if you have a lot of uh, uh, rainy days, mm-hmm. then you don't have that around here. Right, exactly. You don't get the red. Yeah. Okay. Uh, good trees for fall color. Obviously, that's you know the pistaches. They're mm-hmm. just gorgeous. They just glow with their redness, and there are some chosen cultivars. Um, Keith, Keith Davies. Davies. Try yeah. to find it, yeah. Yeah, right. Some of the maples, the red maple crosses, the named. Yeah. October glory. Maples, mm-hmm. right. Do beautiful fall color. Um, the nandinas, yeah. uh, my my driveway, when I bought the house, was lined with nandinas, and I've left it that way, and it's beautiful. Beautiful ginkgos, too. Yes, the the clear yellow of yeah. ginkgo is just gorgeous. And what's nice about the ginkgo, too, it tends to lose most of its leaves at once, so you've got this gold carpet beneath the tree for well, a week see, or two. Then you have a plant nerd party. You know, like they have football parties, yeah. and, and they have a pool. Who's going to win, and what's the score going to be, or the point spread or something? You, have, you set up one of those charts, day and month, and when is the ginkgo going to lose all its leaves? What day? You know, And everybody picks a square and put in their money and... Yeah. What do they win? Ginkgo berries? Oh, that's up to you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch those females. Yes. Yeah. Well, the ginkgo berry, though, even though it does smell like uh, a, 
like a Saturday night after party. Or, or <laughs> dog poop. Yeah. Sweet, though. A little bit on the sweet side. But it is an Asian delicacy. It is. And uh, it does have value to someone. Yes. But if you step on it, you go, oh, who threw up? Right. <laughs> right. It is. It. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, Mike Murray's here running the board. Hi, Mike. Good to see you. Uh, he'll be uh, collecting calls, juggling calls for the Garden Grappler a little bit later on. Also, uh, when you call in with questions, we have phone numbers that still work. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Email. Send it to fred at farmerfred.com. I apologize, Mike. You do not smell like dog vomit. All right. Thank you. He, he, he smells freshly showered. That's good smell. Way. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, quick look at the weather. <laughs> it's fall, so you know what that means. It's the first day of fall. That's yes. unbelievable. So it's going to happen. It's going to get warmer. <laughs> 88 today, 91 on Monday, 94 on Tuesday, 95 on Wednesday. Yeah. Then down to 92 on Thursday, and then maybe down to the 80s by uh, Saturday and Sunday and Friday. But that also means uh, there's a tug-of-war going on, and eventually fall will win. Right. Yeah. But we don't know when. It could take... I can remember uh, taking plant ID at UC Davis, which is is a, done on a bicycle, uh, and I have terrible allergies. That's always made the UC Davis Health Center laugh when I said I was a plant science major or horticulture major and I needed antihistamines. Um, so I'm riding my bicycle across uh, UC Davis campus in plant ID class in October and it was 100 degrees and my eyes were just streaming from the from the pollen and it, uh, it was miserable. I what, love that class but it was miserable. What would be producing pollen in October? Grasses? Yeah, grasses oh. and weeds. Okay, uh, because most plants are trying to go to sleep. Right. Come fall, right? But the fall, uh, the the fall, the cool season grasses are are picking up speed if if they get the conditions they need. The benefit of warmer daytime temperatures is this is perfect weather for transplanting, for mm-hmm. installing new plants, for renovating a lawn mm-hmm. too. Like now, you have the um, no mo grass or turf, which is a a native fescue variety it's a mix of, of native fescues yes. yeah that tend it's it, it, it's a clumping style right all right mine i planted mine for the first time last year as a turf substitute it came in kind of patchy mm-hmm. and it turned out because i wasn't watering enough oh. even though it's drought tolerant well that's the thing you know fall is for planting but yeah. if you're going to plant then you also have to water even if it's a drought tolerant plant yeah the um um areas that didn't get filled in or that died back quickly because I guess I didn't water it enough, even though the directions didn't talk about that. And then I found out from the company itself that, oh, you should have be watering it like three times a week mm-hmm. until it's established. And that might be for the first year or two. Mm. Well, so much for <laughs> drought yeah. tolerance. Yeah. Okay. So I've got now an oscillating sprinkler over the area coming on four times a day wow. for three so minutes. So you've put in new seed? Yeah. And I overseeded yeah. it okay. and put in why well, new seed is... I mean, it's the seed that was left over from last year. Okay. So I'm hoping that it's still viable. Mm-hmm. It should be. Fescue can take two weeks or more to germinate. Right. It can be a slow germinator. Yeah, I'm seeing all, oh, good. seven days later already seeing s- stuff coming up. That's encouraging. So now it's just a matter of keeping it wet until it's all up and then reducing the frequency 
but increasing the length right. of you the watering. Right. You can't just take away the oscillating sprinkler once your grass is two to three inches tall. Which is what I did last year, and that's what caused the problem. Right. Because then the soil dries out and mm-hmm. the roots die and you yeah. lose the plants. You right. have to wean it from that. Right. So I'll, I'll cut it down to probably once a day for a few weeks uh, for maybe 10 minutes. I don't know. It's I'm just guessing here. Well, use your... Uh, Use your uh, moisture meter now and see what it's like right before it turns on. How deep is the water mm-hmm. and how wet is it? And then you're going to want to maintain that uh, with fewer irrigations and, and try to get the water to go deeper. And there is uh, – all of a sudden I've started thinking about carrots. <laughs> Yeah, we had a carrot guy on the last show. Yeah, we have to take a break anyway. Okay. Mike's looking at me like, come on, let's pay some bills here. (laughs) All right, we'll pay some bills. Then when we come back, planting carrots. When do you plant carrots? Well, that's interesting. When we come back, we'll talk about when to plant carrots. It's coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Got a garden question? Give us a call. 916-576-1578-866-331-8255. Email. Send it to fred at farmerfred.com. We were talking to John from Turlock over on the KFPK show as it ended. He wanted to talk about carrots, but instead decided to talk about the beautiful fall color (laughs) in the eastern Sierra right now. And there is. And we mentioned, might as well finish that up uh, here, good website. If you're looking for fall color, if you want to go do a drive and see fall color, the website is CaliforniaFallColor.com. And this guy keeps track in real time of where in California the leaves are turning color and what percentage of color they're currently at. And right now, most of the color action is on the east side of the Sierra or at the higher elevations, and it works its way down. At the higher elevations, you get your fall color sooner, as you would now. And then come October, it gets down to Sacramento by late October, really. Mm -hmm. But right now, um, full color on the east side of the Sierra, uh, partial color in some of the Sierra valleys, like we talked about Hope Valley at the junction of 88 and 89, the quaking aspen starting to turn color now. So anyway, CaliforniaFallColor.com for that. But still, carrots. John's question, because we never got to it, he emailed me. How come your seed planting guide you have on your website says, says, says that you can plant carrots in August, September, but not October through January if the plant temperature has to be cool? Okay, where did I get that information? The Vegetable Research and Information Center of UC Davis in their very wonky uh, publication called California Pro- uh, Carrot Production in California points out that California has four main production areas for carrots. The Southern San Joaquin Valley, the Cayuma Valley, which is part of Kern and Santa Barbara counties, the Southern Desert, Imperial Riverside County, the High Desert, Los Angeles County. Did you know Los Angeles County is now the state's leading producer of carrots? I did not. That's a surprise. Yes, it is. The, the Los Angeles County is actually, that, that is their uh, one of their main crops. Wow. Is carrots up there in around Palmdale or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other carrot growing area, Monterey County, as you might expect. Carrots are grown year-round in California in the southern San Joaquin and Cayuma Valleys. Carrots are planted from December to March for harvest from May to July and from July to September 
for harvest from November to February. In the southern desert, they're planted from August to February for harvest from December to June. In the high desert, they're planted from April to July for harvest from August to December. On the central coast, they're planted from December to August for harvest April to January. Now, which one of those are we? Are we the southern San Joaquin Valley or are we Monterey County? Neither. Neither. So they don't really talk about here in the southern Sacramento, northern San Joaquin Valley. Mm -hmm. Southern San Joaquin Valley, much warmer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So where did I get those dates? I don't know. Probably off of one of those charts. Yeah, probably off some chart, and it made sense at at the time. The the it's true that carrots will germinate in cooler weather, and they like the moisture that we might get if we get rains. But they uh, are susceptible to fungal diseases uh, when it's cool and moist. So when temp- soil temperatures get quite cold in the fifties, uh, that that can be a problem. So. Uh, I suspect that the chart, if it refers to the Central Valley, including Sacramento, uh, took into effect that historically uh, the Sacramento area gets rain, cool rain, uh, in October, November, uh, December, January. And and so that cool moisture would likely lead to rotting of lots of the carrot seeds, maybe, or if they've started to grow the carrots themselves, whereas Historically, the the rain would be less in February. We start to warm up quite a bit in February. We mm-hmm. start to see lots of active growth in February. Uh, soils are cooler in spring, but um, unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever, that rain pattern has seems to have switched. Uh, for all the years I taught plant ID, spring semester was always the wettest semester. Yeah. Uh, so that that chart, which come used historic data to be created may not apply as much anymore. And carrots take a while to germinate. Yeah. They, they could take, what, up and to two weeks? It's very small seeds. Yeah, and then that goes into how do you plant them? Right. Do you mix them with sand or something? Right. You can make, or uh, I would, vermiculite. Vermiculite? I, I like okay. vermiculite. Um, and uh, I was reading somewhere that because they take so um, long to germinate, you can mix their seed if you're making a mix with radish seed. Radishes germinate very quickly, and it, it marks the spot. It lets you know that, that uh, things are growing there, that there is some moisture there. Um, the caller on the last um, show said he put boards over it. That made me hesitate. Well, I just found out where he found that information. Oh, uh, uh, yeah? From, uh, if you're familiar with uh, one common Google uh, selection choice that if you're looking for garden answers, they might send you to what's called SF Gate, San Francisco right. Gate, SF Gate. I have never put a lot of stake in okay, that Okay, well, they say problems with carrots germinating, and it talks about right here, uh, as far as uh, getting them to germinate, they need constant moisture to yes. germinate. Keeping the top quarter inch to half inch of soil moist in a sunny location is a challenge. One way to keep the surface of the soil moist is to cover it with a board, burlap bag, rug, or other material to hold in the moisture. It seems to me a board would kill the exactly thing. that. Yeah. You know, yes, they're right. Cover the soil with something to keep the moisture in, but something as heavy as a board would crush the seedling. So I might make a tent out of some cardboard. Uh, cardboard lasts. You know, you get a box, yeah. you get a delivery, and you got the box, and you cut it up and make it into a little tent. You know, I'm talking three inches tall, three, you know, three by. Th- well, why not just buy a pair of shoes and use the shoe box? 
You could do that. <laughs> the burlap bag would work. Yeah, or vermiculite. What helps. about a row cover? Yes, row cover would help. All right, row yeah. cover does allow moisture out more readily than than cardboard would. Mm, okay. So, but you got to watch whatever you do. If you put something on top of those seeds, you got to watch that you're not crushing them. Yeah. When they start to come up. But uh, so anyway, there's a lot of uh, interesting debate there about planting carrots. But you can grow carrots here. Yes. And if you want the longer variety of carrots, I would strongly suggest if you have clay soil, use a raised bed. Yes. You need uh, sandy soil would be great for mm-hmm. carrots. Although then you have to really stay on top of your fertilization. Yeah, and your watering, too. And your watering, yeah. right. dries out quickly. One of the problems with having a, a sandier soil or even a loam soil that tends towards sand in a raised bed is if you're using drip irrigation, mm-hmm. like the inline emitter system where you have emitters spaced every 12 inches, mm-hmm. the moisture pattern, the footprint, is very narrow. Mm-hmm. It might only be six or eight inches. So for that reason, I went to spray irrigation mm-hmm. this, in this bed. And um, the whole bottoms, so it's... It's just the tube is on the surface and the emitters are in the tube and they spray out. The whole bottom of, of a couple of my tomatoes lost all their leaves. You can't win. <laughs> no. Well, no, you, you really only – I noticed at the Ferrox Horticulture Center, they have two systems in that's, each of their raised beds. That's ideal. They have four drip irrigation lines running the length of the bed spaced a foot apart. Mm-hmm. Then on the running the perimeter of the bed, they have a sprayer system. Mm-hmm. And that's for keeping the whole bed evenly moist. And you put a valve in and you, yeah, yeah. You turn it on and off. Yep. And that that will also help germinate cover crop seeds this right. time of year right? too. I put it in specifically for seed germination because you end up using the same spot every year after year after year after year if you've got a drip line mm-hmm. to start a seed because that's the only place it's going to get water because of that carrot-shaped drainage pattern. So, yeah, it's uh, too, too – that, well, that would be a dream come true. The uh, I'm thinking in terms of okay, does that mean you have to stay home and turn it on, you know, twice a day to do that, or do you set your timer? Well, okay, but if if you're going to have a dual system in a raised bed, that sprayer system that lines the perimeter of the bed could actually just be on a PVC pipe, or no, even a drip line, a solid black drip line with the sprayers on it, Uh, and then a hose end adapter at the end, and then just run a hose from a faucet to that bed, to that black line, with a battery-operated timer right. back at the faucet. Yes. Because t- That's tying the it, system I have. Yeah, okay. So that's easier than tying it into your existing PVC system. Oh, right, because the to- the, veg- the, the irrigation uh, scheduling for a vegetable bed varies over the season and yeah. varies from... Your shrub and your lawn and your annuals, other reds. Well, yeah, ideally, everything would have its own timer right. as well as its own watering system. Right. That, that's ideal. So when I win the lottery, that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that takes me back to the pizza garden. Yes. Where you have basically six areas of a garden. And in these six areas of a garden, and, and it's formed in a circle, you've got six slices in this pizza garden. Mm-hmm. And if you can see this if you go to the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And I've got the uh, – somebody actually renamed it. Uh, they called it the uh, uh, Medicine Wheel Garden, which is kind of nice because mm. everything in there is edible and good for you. Okay. And you group the plants together based on – what diseases they get, 
perhaps how much nitrogen they use so that you're not doing, for example, two heavy nitrogen feeders in a row in a garden area. For instance, you wouldn't plant corn in one year and then tomatoes the next year, nor would you plant in that same bed, nor in that same bed would you go from, say, potatoes to tomatoes because of the threat of carrying late blight disease or other diseases around. So you need a space needs... I think the rule of thumb is three years off from that crop uh, to prevent spreading the disease to the next crop. Yeah, and uh, that's that's why there are six slices to this uh, pizza pie, is that you have a dormant bed that could either be covered with a cover crop or just composted, or, and something I should have put in that article, was or solarized. Oh, yeah. Imagine solarizing a portion of your garden every three years. Mm-hmm. Or actually be, be every six years. That, that would, would be, be great. Yeah, exactly. So you could do that. We'll talk more about that when we come back. We need to take a break. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE and KSTE.com. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. We are talking fall gardening and fall gardening because it is the first day of fall. And not only that, it is the best time of the year to be planting. It's also the best time of year for renovation. It's also the best time of the year to feed your soil, to take care of your soil, and prepare it for major growing in 2019. And Debbie Flower is here, former college horticultural instructor. If you've got a garden question, give us a call, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. And we were talking about this uh, post I put up on the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page about the pizza garden, which is basically a pizza or a garden shaped like a pizza with six right. slices where you rotate the crops based on what nutrients they're taking from the soil based on what diseases they might transmit to other plants and also feeding the soil. And that's where cover cropping comes in because one of the pieces of this pie would be not blank every six years, but basically resting. Mm -hmm. And rest for soil could include an intravenous feeding, if you will, mm-hmm. of, say, either compost or cover crops. Mm-hmm. And this is the time of the year, if you're putting your summer vegetable bed to sleep and you're pulling out those plants, this would be the time of the year to think about, well, don't let it lie, lie bare or lay bare. Plant something that's going to fix nitrogen in the soil. Or put compost on top and mm-hmm. let it work its way in. Leaving soil bare uh, actually leads to soil compaction, even if you never walk on it. Right. The water itself is very strong and it can do that. It leads to soil erosion as well when the wind blows. I was amazed to learn as one of my uh, jobs here with the KSTE Farm Hour to find out about water sales in the Sacramento Valley. Farmers can keep their land fallow, sell off a portion of their water rights to farmers in another part of the state. Mm -hmm. But part of the deal is you have to keep the land bare as evidence that I'm not watering. I'm not using that water. And it's a case where people from the water district can come around and check your property to make sure the land is completely bare. And one rice grower was telling me, we do that. We sell off a portion of our water rights if we don't need it, but we have to go out there and disc up the weeds. They won't even let us plant a cover crop. It has to be bare soil. And that just seems counterproductive to everything we know about how to take care of soil. Right. 
takes a thousand years to make an inch of soil. Yeah. So you would think that they would, you know, allow you to at least grow a cover crop or a natural, as this uh, rice farmer point out, pointed out, a naturally occurring weed that mm-hmm. would hold the soil and also produce roots to help break up heavy clay soils. If that's what you want to do with rice soil, I'm not right. sure. Right. But uh, it was called uh, smartweed. Oh, Are you okay. familiar with that? Uh, I believe so. I think it's very low growing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd have to look it up. But uh, what was also interesting in this conversation I had with this rice grower is how many acres of rice now are being converted over to nuts, to walnuts and almonds. And the problem that that is incurring for the rice growers that are remaining because now they're more limited in how they can spray herbicides to kill the weeds in the rice because you can't do aerial sprays. It would drift onto the trees. Right. So now they're limited to ground applications, and you only get a few opportunities to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, soil has to be right, and the wind has to be right, and... But that's neither here nor there to what we're talking about, <laughs> is it? But that's okay. The uh, But when it comes to feeding your backyard soil, I love cover crops like fava beans because you can eat the greens. Mm-hmm. Fava bean greens are edible. Mm-hmm. I have not done that. So tell me about it. It's delicious. Is we, it? We, I tried that last year. And then like everything I do in life is like I'll go out and prune a plant and then look up. Did I do it right? Mm-hmm. I do it afterwards. So. I went out, I saw the, last year I saw these fava beans and, and the leaves, and I go, huh, I wonder what these leaves taste like. Hmm, that's pretty tasty. It's kind of mm-hmm. sweet. Hmm, I wonder if they're poisonous. I'll go look it up. <laughs> <laughs> You're here to say they're not, but that was the backwards way of doing yeah, it. Yeah, I know. It was the backwards way of doing it. But I'd, I had recalled hearing about somebody eating fava bean leaves, okay. so I wasn't too worried. Now, fava beans, for some cultures, uh, people are allergic to them. Oh. And like the Southern Mediterranean culture for some reason is very allergic to fava beans Hmm, that's a place where i would think they would eat a lot of them yeah but apparently there is some sort of genetic uh, trait that uh, causes this allergy but the greens uh for the rest of us are well and they have lovely flowers Mm -hmm. uh, but the if you really want them they're a bean they can do what we call fixed nitrogen which means add nitrogen to your soil um but if you allow the seeds to form the beans to form that nitrogen is used to fill those beans. And so if you're truly trying to get nitrogen added to the soil, you'll want to cut off the forming bead pots. Uh, but, actually, but still, it's useful because yeah. you can eat the leaves. The late Chuck Engels, Sacramento County Farm Advisor, would say when you start seeing the flowers appear on fava beans, right. that's the time to hack it back. Right. Flowers are uh, uh, parasitic on a plant. They don't make their own food. They require the rest of the plant to make food for them. So uh, the food that would go to fixing nitrogen would would go into those flowers. So he's right. Yeah. I just would hate to miss the flowers. <laughs> I think they're so I pretty. Know that, that's the hard part. I mean, it is. If you really want to feed the soil with a nitrogen-fixing plant, you have to use it for the soil before the plant uses it for itself. That's right. And but what's nice, too, though, is you can just hack it back. Right. And if you hack it back small enough, you can just leave it on the surface of the soil. So and it, Decomposes. It decomposes. It keeps the soil moist. It uh, and you can leave those roots in there because they've got the nitrogen attached to them, and so they, as they break down, that nitrogen will be released to the next crop. I'm glad you brought that up because a question came in uh, to the old email bag from mm-hmm. Chris in Citrus Heights, who asks, "Is there a nematode nematode issue if I leave the tomato roots in the vegetable bed?" Well, if he's got root, not nematode, then yes, they're yeah. just going to live there on the on the 
uh, nematodes in general live in places that are very well drained. And so if he's got nematodes, solarize, you know, plant-resistant cultivars rotate out of the bed, but also improve the water-holding capacity of that soil, uh, usually with compost, with organic matter. And there's some stuff I've read that indicates that organic matter, that compost can, if it's live, uh, so it's not in a bag that's been sitting in a warehouse, it's got to be live compost. Um, so that would be the ones you make in your backyard, yeah. the compost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, have uh, live organisms in them that will attack the nematodes. Fungus mm-hmm. can can lasso, certain funguses can lasso certain nematodes. So uh, besides doing all the stuff to get rid of the existing nematodes, upping the water holding capacity of that soil with live uh, compost would work very well. I think a lot of the interest now in, in keeping old roots in vegetable beds might be a result of uh, hearing about the increase in no-till farming, mm-hmm. that, and which leaves roots of plants in the soil, which helps mix the soil more porous, mm-hmm. more better for water uh, penetration. Mm-hmm. And as, as the roots break down, it feeds the soil as well. Right. In the home garden, can you get away with that without transferring diseases? If this, If Chris did not have a nematode problem with his tomatoes. Is it possible those nematodes could have been dormant for a year and then develop over the winter on the roots? No, I don't think so, because they need something to eat, and the roots would not be functioning anymore. So they wouldn't be, the nematodes wouldn't have anything to eat. Okay. And well, doesn't all microbial activity sort of slow down as the soil temperature drops? Oh, absolutely. All right, so that would include nematode activity yes. too. Yes. All right. So, uh, you know, I, I'm of two schools of thought. Most people aren't don't have farm-sized properties. Right. <laughs> it just might be a small patch, and leaving those roots in the ground, um, it creates a barrier. Yeah. Water moves around it. Um, Often you, the the plant has been started. If it ha- wasn't direct seeded, you've put some container media in the ground, and that's a different texture. And water will move differently through different textures and soil. Right. Um, I don't make a big effort to get the whole system out, but I will pull on the plant and take what comes with it. Uh, and then if I'm turning the soil or digging or whatever, and I come across a wad of roots, I'll take them out, put them in the compost. I pulled out a couple of tomato plants. Yesterday. Me too. <laughs> just, just, just to look at the roots. Oh, yeah? yeah? I love to look at roots just to see, okay, I know by the size of the roots whether I have good soil or not. Uh-huh. That's a good point. If you have extensive roots, you probably have good soil. Yeah. If, yeah. If it's all sort of bunched together, you may want to wonder why. Right. Right. Yeah. Soil or watering practices. Yeah. And or watering practices. We'll take a break. More of Get Growing on the way on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Welcome back to the program. Fred here. Debbie Flower is here. We're Mm -hmm. answering gardening questions. There is a garden grappler on the way. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, I think. And, um, well, you'd probably be able to. We have mentioned some already this hour. Okay. So we're, we're okay. So if you've been if listening, people are listening. If yeah. people are listening, they don't have too many Bloody Marys in their system. <laughs> they will remember some answers, and we'll have ourselves five winners for the Garden Grappler. That starts after the news at 11 a.m. Let's delve into the email 
you've been sending to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Man, oh, man, am I getting a lot of questions on this topic. Because it is fall, the days are shorter, Mm -hmm. the insects of spring have returned for a little uh, return. We're starting to see the honeydew. Well, that's what this question is. Diane writes in, my large Japanese maple by the patio is oozing honeydew. I don't see any aphids or pests in the tree. Other years, there were ants feeding on it, but this year there are no ants. Mm. What causes the honeydew? I would guess that it's a scale, because scale is difficult to spot. Scale is a sucking insect, um, but it it lays down right on the woodier portions of the plant or the the veins of the leaves, usually on the back, and it looks like part of the the branch, and it and it causes the honeydew. I'm surprised she doesn't see the ants. I'm wondering if the ants might be coming in from a different direction. Maybe the tree grew a little bit and the branch is touching the fence, a power line, a roof, something where the ants are are not climbing the trunk. They're coming from a different direction. Yeah, you need to see where on a tree those branches are touching because ants are clever. They'll use a fence. They'll use a roof line to uh, just go up the upper branches. The easiest, I, I did this with a hackberry. I had uh, scale and aphids on this hackberry. The easiest way to, I have found to get to control the scale is to prune to open the plant up, which means removing branches at their origin, at the trunk. Um, you can't do a whole lot of it at this time of year uh, to the plant. That would put it into shock. But that allows beneficial insects to come in and attack the pest problem. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's a lot of parasitic wasps out there mm-hmm. that will be laying their eggs inside aphids, for example. Yes. That, that is just so amazing to see. Yeah, and I was pulling out my zucchini and my, my uh, cucumber, and I brought back memories. I would take those leaves in to class at this time of year, and we'd look at it under dissecting scopes because you could see the aphids and you could see the cast skins of the aphids Mm -hmm. and you could see the parasitized aphids. It was uh, very informative. Are the parasitized aphids primarily the brown aphid things you would see on the back? Darkest. The darkest ones? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is where literally a little wasp, a wasp that you could barely see, has done some ovipositing, if you will, laid, Mm -hmm. laid its egg inside the body of an aphid, a living aphid, and when that uh, little baby wasp uh, emerges from its egg, it starts eating the aphid. Right, from the inside out. From the inside out. And you then, under a microscope, you can see the escape hole, or a good camera can get a shot of that exit hole that the wasp emerges from. It swells the aphid up to like a circle, almost Mm -hmm. a brown circle, and then they cut this perfectly round little hole and come out. Exactly. And you want to encourage that wasp population. Well, here's another nice little scenic bypass we can take. When it comes to fall planting, consider those beneficials that will help you fight the battle so you don't have to use harsh chemicals to go after these insects. And because wasps and these beneficial wasps need basically a source of food for themselves, for the adults. Mm -hmm. And those are usually... Flowers that have sort of a flat surface. That's for their sweet, their carbohydrate. Right. And so when you are planting, consider... Yarrow. Yarrow. Daisies of any sort. Daisies, Michaelmas daisies, Mm -hmm. uh, marguerite daisies, Mm -hmm. uh, 
Cosmos, mm-hmm. uh, zinnias, zinnias. Wintertime, what calendulas? Uh, yes. Okay. The uh, I, I, uriops. Do they go to uriops? Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know who else likes uriops? Are hoverflies, mm-hmm. and hoverflies are a very good beneficial insect. Uriops as well. is such a happy looking plant at a time when we need happy looking plants. It gets a lot of bad mouthing just right. because it's so common. It is. But what's wrong with a plant that blooms from September to June? These right. yellow daisy like flowers on a three foot perennial plant. When it's kind of could be cloudy and yucky outside. Yeah. The two plants that I can think of that are going to be putting on a show from now through next spring if you're looking for like curb appeal color mm-hmm. would be Uriops and Rosemary. Mm-hmm. And you can buy rosemary as, as a shrub, not necessarily as a or a ground cover. They right. come in all sorts of various sizes. Right. But they always have those beautiful blue violet flowers on mm-hmm. them that last for months and the bees love it. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of, you know, attracting the good guys year round. Right. That's so. right. You have to give them what they need to eat to live. Food, clothing. Oh, they don't need clothing. They wear their own. <laughs> yes. They, okay. Yes. Food, shelter and water. Uh, I have a bird bath outside my kitchen window and. Uh, the birds use it primarily in spring when they're flirting and, and trying to land their date for the night. Um, <laughs> they always come in in pairs in spring. And once it's in the tree, you know, does the lookout, because I do have cats. Yeah. Um, and I keep my plants pruned up so the cats can't get to the plants, Hope the birds hopefully. But anyway, and she wears a bib. Anyway, so uh, they the thing that visits the uh, bird bath most of the rest of the year um is wasps they come mm-hmm. in and 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 bees sometimes the bees tend not to be able to handle the birdbath as well sometimes they drown but the wasps are very adept at leaning in and getting a drink and then their protein meal is is going to be caterpillars so yeah. if you've got tomato hornworms let the let, let the wasps eat them yeah a lot of people don't like wasps but let's differentiate on the wasps that are out right now there's paper wasps and there's yellow jackets mm-hmm. Paper wasps are kind of the lazy helicopter-like legs hanging down mm-hmm. flying critter that flies kind of slow. And you usually see their nests under the eaves of your roof line or in a pipe. Mm-hmm. And they look like... In the, in the mirror of my husband's pickup truck. It, exactly, that too. And they look like upside-down egg cartons. Mm-hmm. They're beautiful. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Quite an artwork. Yeah. And, you know, they, they like to also nest inside pipes. But yellow jackets, on the other hand, are like highly caffeinated bees. <laughs> they're always flitting about. They're, they they never seem to land. They just they they're just very curious about that salmon that's on your grill or that Coca Cola that's in your hand. Mm-hmm. They want to be where the sugar is or where the meat is, mm-hmm. and especially this time of year because they're building up storage for the winter. Mm-hmm. And uh, do they? I know in the case of many beehives or hiving bees and uh, paper wasps that. Everybody dies except for the queen. Is that true in yellow jackets? Do you know? Yeah, the yellow jacket queens overwinter. Right. So do the wasp queens and the bee queens. Yeah. yeah. And so that's why these yellow traps that you can buy that uh, have uh, some sort of attractant in mm-hmm. them, that, by the way, work a lot better if you put in some lunch meat with it. Mm. Uh, so it's mostly carbohydrate they in the bait. Yeah. Put those out in March as the queen emerges uh-huh. to capture the queen. What do yellow, I don't know yellow jackets very well. What do they eat? Do you know? They like sugar and protein. Okay. And And they're aggressive about it. And they're very aggressive about it. I mean, this time of year, you don't put 
a can of soda down and walk away and come back and pick it up and drink it. You look inside the can to make sure that there isn't a wasp around I remember my mother getting bit that way. Yeah, you do that. And barbecuing is the same way. I have seen yellow jackets do some pretty serious work. We once had a, a dead snake on our property back in Herald, and the body of the snake was lying there by the shed, and I just left it there. The next day, most of it was gone because the yellow jackets just ate it. It was just amazing. They'd come down in a swarm and just demolish what was there of the snake. And like you said, they'll do the same thing to a tomato worm, too. I have seen them come down, swoop on a tomato worm, grab a chunk of it, and and fly out with it. I've seen somebody do that. I thought it was a wasp, but I don't know now if it was a wasp or a yellow jacket. Well, yeah. I mean, a yellow jacket is a wasp. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. They're just different. They cut it up into pieces. Yeah. And then they carry <laughs> off what they can and come back for the rest. We need to take a break. When we come back, it's Garden Grappler time, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. And I, I think if you have a winter garden, you'll be able to answer the questions. So stay tuned for the Garden Grappler, kicking off hour number two of Get Growing, right here on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. If you're already on the phone, stay there. You might have an answer or two. Mike, are you ready in there? Mike Murray says he's ready to be jotting down names, addresses, and good stuff like that if you are a winner in today's Garden Grappler contest. And like I said earlier, if you were listening to the first hour of the show... We gave you some good answers. Today's question, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, little animals gathered there by the light of the electric radio. Today's garden grappler question is, name a cool season garden green that you can grow here. Now, earlier I was talking about Malabar spinach. That's a summer green, mm-hmm. and it's not a true spinach anyway. But it is a, that would be a, a green. warm, it's a warm season garden green. Right. So, Name a cool season garden green. That would be something you could grow from, say, September through April or May. Mm-hmm. All right. And you're eating the leaves. And you're eating the leaves. Name a cool season garden green you can grow here. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five, because as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. The numbers to call in on this little contest here in Sacramento, 916-576-1578. 916-576-1578. A toll-free number for those of you that tolls still make a difference. I don't know <laughs> who that is anymore. 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255. I don't understand phones anymore. Right. Anyway, uh, name a cool season garden green that you can grow here. And what do I mean by here? I mean where you live. I'll be fair like that because we get calls from all over. So we'll have to, we may have to know that, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, you know, if you say something weird, um, you know, you may have to tell us where you live. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we'll have something of an idea about where you live, hopefully, on the screen here. All right. Uh, so while you're thinking about that, while you're ruminating on coming up with a cool season garden green that you can grow here, let's uh, uh, talk to some people on the telephone. Angela in Folsom, how are you? How are you? Oh, we're fine. Thanks for calling. Thank you. Um, the reason for my call today is about 12 years ago, I purchased through mail order two very small, uh, they were basically twigs at this point, uh, pawpaw trees of different varieties wow. in hopes of someday producing fruit. Um, my 
my father grew up in the south in Arkansas where they grew wild. And he had never seen them here. And I thought, well, I'll try it. <laughs> and uh, I never did have any fruit. And one of the trees only lived a couple years and died. Um, and so this other tree has slowly just been getting bigger and bigger. And lo and behold, my dog brings me a pop-off fruit. <laughs> oh, wow. Today. And um, I didn't know what it was. I was trying to figure out what it was. And I thought, could that been the pop-off? So I went out there to look. And I didn't see any more fruit, but um, when I did a Google search, it was clearly a pop-off, especially when I opened it up and saw the outside, and it had the same, the fragrance that they described, the custardy banana taste. It was very good, but I can't figure out how I got this fruit um, to, how it pollinated with um, only one tree. It's not self-pollinating. And I don't think anyone could possibly have a pop-off tree near me. I mean, I guess it's possible, but very unlikely. That you know, this, it's sort of like an avocado in that way. The the, the according to the California rare fruit growers, uh, and Debbie, you'll have to pronounce, help me with the pronunciation of this word. Pawpaw flowers are protogynous. P r o t o g y n a u s. I'll let you stay with that. Where okay, <laughs> where the female stigma matures and is no longer receptive when the male pollen is shed. So the avocado is kind of that way. That's why it takes two to tango mm-hmm. in the world of avocado. So with a pawpaw. Um, it says here, this is interesting. In addition, pawpaws are self-incompatible, requiring cross-pollination from another unrelated pawpaw tree. So mm-hmm. you basically need two pawpaw trees of different, different varieties. varieties. Yeah. And I, that's what I had purchased. Okay. Purchased All right. Two different varieties on in the hopes of having fruit someday. Yeah. Bees show no interest in pawpaw flowers. The task of pollinization is left to unenthusiastic species of flies and beetles. <laughs> I wonder where they've been. Yes. But they're unenthusiastic. Right. You know, it's like you get a little yay out of them, you know, and that's about it. It's I, like the, <laughs> I did read that uh, if you wanted to pollinate with a paintbrush, uh, that would be helpful, but if you didn't want to go all of the to all that trouble, you could hang roadkill from your tree and that would attract some flies. <laughs> oh, okay. I literally read that today. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> now, the, the 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 rare fruit grower site mentions that pollen is ripe for gathering when the ball of anthers is brownish in color, loose and friable. Pollen grains should appear as small beige-colored particles on the brush hairs. The stigma is receptive when the tips of the pistils are green, glossy, and sticky, and the anther ball is firm and greenish to light yellow in color if you want to do hand pollen. Okay. That's a lot to know. Yes, you got to know when they're ready. It is. How did this plant ever survive? Um, Well, yeah, it's not really... I I have it it in almost full shade uh, where I planted it, even though it said full sun. I planted it in almost full shade because I knew it would fry here. Right, good. And um, it is on... A, it's on a south fence, but the fence is covered in trees. So now the canopy is finally on this tree is finally to the top, and it looks like the leaves are a little brown way up high. But everything else looks really good in full shade here. Yeah, it says the young plant is very sensitive to full sunlight, requires filtered sun for the first year or two. The use of tree shelters is an ideal solution to the problem permitting the plant to receive a full day of filtered sunlight. Once established, pawpaws prefer full sun. The large dangling leaves dislike strong winds. 
Overall, the tree is an excellent edible landscape addition. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of Not work. Not here, yeah. yeah like I'm wondering if it's on a rootstock and there was uh, a branch from the rootstock that has some flowers that allowed the cross-pollination to occur. Or do you know which cultivars you you received? I did, yes. I, re- I'm, I think, because I was looking at all of them, I'm pretty sure I bought Wells and Taylor. Okay, Taylor, the fruit is small, the flesh is yellow with green skin, flavor mild to excellent. And you said Wells? Yes. Uh, fruit quite large, flesh orange, green skin, flavor superb. But because you bought cultivars, they must have been grafted. And so there is a rootstock on that tree. And so, okay, so I would go out and look right at the ground for a branch that's coming out of the ground. And I, in this case, this is one of the very few cases, I would leave it because... That yeah, yeah, if it's there, then it probably was the source of the uh, pollen to make your fruit grow. Your pollenizer. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will go out and and check it out. Um, I know the the other tree that I bought. I'm not sure which one died, Wells or Taylor. I'm not sure, but um, it's it's no longer. It hasn't been here for years. Well, I guess if it okay, so it hasn't has the rootstock been there though. Um, the, oh, did, so did the rootstock of the other one that died still live? Oh, that's long gone. Oh. Yeah, I'm saying I think the it's rootstock. Years. Either somebody else in Folsom has a pawpaw, or <laughs> they to, huh? or the the rootstock of this tree has sent at least a branch up, and that flowered, and that provided the pollen. I, wow. This tree has given me. It's helped me with an answer that I'm seeing as I bike around Folsom, and I see people protecting their plants with like three-sided these structures and shade cloth, or three-sided shade structures just, yeah. uh, that are placed on the south side of these plants, uh, and they're they're obviously going to be trees. And I'm thinking, why are they? Why did they plant it there? Because to begin for the with? first two years, yes, they yes, need sun yes, shade, yes. and then they can get to sun, but not not the yeah, pawpaw. How many plants <laughs> can you think of that are like that? A lot of plants would establish better in our environment if we did that. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. We'll, keep well the... thank you very much. I appreciate all your help. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't know what we can tell you. I, I don't think either of us We'd love it if you called us back and told us yeah, what t- you found out. Tell us when, the, well, when, when your dog brings in another papa. <laughs> I looked around everywhere, and they grow in clusters from every, all the pictures that I've seen. And we only had the one fruit. And I do have a lot of squirrels. Uh, um, in the backyard, and it's next to a loquat tree that the squirrels hang out in. So sure. I have a feeling the squirrels got some of the pawpaws. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. When in um, doubt, blame the squirrels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, they don't seem to produce just that single fruit, and that literally is all I could find out there was the one my dog had. Huh. Okay. So. Angela, you want to take a stab at the garden grappler? Name a cool season garden green you can grow here? A cabbage? Yeah. 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 A cabbage. All right. So, Angela, I want you to hang on, and Mike will get your name and address, and we are sending everybody today. What are we sending everybody today, Fred? Farmer Fred's Fall Garden Checklist and uh, my informational sheet on growing winter vegetables. So, Angela, I'll be sending that your way. So hang on here. Let me hit the right button, and uh, Mike will get all the pertinent information. Thank you. All right. Good job. All right. Cabbage. Yep. We didn't ask her what kind of cabbage, but there are other forms of cabbage with different mm-hmm. names that mm-hmm. people could mention yes yes okay all right so we we will assume angela was talking about good old cabbage the green bowling yeah. ball cabbage yes all right so if you know a cool season garden green you can grow here give us a call 
576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255. It's the Garden Grappler. It's going on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. We are in the midst of the Garden Grappler looking for winners who can answer the question, name a cool season garden green that you can grow here. Professor Debbie Flower, not a a professor. Retired professor. Horticultural consultant. What did you call yourself? Plant nerd? Plant nerd. Plant nerd is here to judge the quality of your answers. And uh, we've already got one winner. Angela and Folsom said cabbage. Good Mm -hmm. answer. You can grow cabbage here during the cool season. Yes. So uh, let's find out. There is one open line, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Let's find out. Mary in Lincoln, how are you? Hi, Mary. Hi, how Hi. are you? We're fine. Can you name a cool season green? Yes, arugula. Ah, arugula. I love arugula. Really? You like it spicy like that? Well, huh? mixed in with other stuff. Yeah. Okay, all right. The peppery taste of arugula. Good answer there, Mary. So I'll be sending you uh, my handouts on growing winter vegetables and the Farmer Fred Fall Garden Checklist making its 2018 debut. Thank you. Thank all you right. Much. Thanks, Mary. Appreciate okay. it. All right. Have a good day. Well, you too. Bye bye. All right. Caller number three. It's Candy in Newcastle. Hi, Candy. Good morning. Oh. I hope it's more, still morning. Yeah, it is. Uh, yes, I said spinach. Yes, spinach. One of my and favorites. Arugula would be my second answer. Well, there you go. You, your first one is a good one too. Mm-hmm. Spinach. And uh, do you have a favorite variety that you like, Candy? Edible. Edibles. That's good. <laughs> no, I buy the packets, and some, uh, a lot of times I let them go uh, self-seed. Yeah, and then and they just... come up in other places. Yeah. Yeah. They will do that. I, I kind of prefer almost like the smooth leaf spinach. Uh, smaller, yeah. Well, as opposed to the Bloomsdale or the others that are really curled a lot, and because they just hold the dirt too much for my yeah. taste. You have to really it's clean not, it well. They're just tiny little leaves. Yeah, exactly. Well, baby spinach is fine, too. Mm-hmm. And you can keep doing that on a continual basis. All right. Good answer there with spinach, Candy. So I'll be sending you the uh, Farmer Fred uh, Fall Garden Checklist, as well as how to grow winter vegetables. Well, thank you very much, and you have a good day. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Caller number four, it's Mary in Manteca. Hi, Mary. Hi. Hi. So, Mary, what cool season greens are you growing there in, in Manteca? Just name one. Yeah, I've I have grown several, but I like kale. Uh huh. Yeah, very good. Now the, the trick with kale, if you want it for pretty, you want the ornamental kale that comes in a, a wide variety of colors. If you mm-hmm. want it for taste, mm-hmm. you go with green kale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is it better cooked? I think so. It's tough. Yeah, raw. It it needs raw. to get softened yeah. up a bit. Yeah. So cooking can do that. So, uh, Mary, good answer with the kale, so I'll be sending you uh, all that stuff. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate it. Have a good day in Manteca. I am. Oh, good. Bye. All right, bye. All right. Yeah, the uh, uh, kale, I used to enjoy planting kale until I realized we're not eating it. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's just there, and, you know, especially now, if... You you need to have a reason to be in my yard, and, and one reason is you want to be eaten. Right. Um, have you looked into sugar cane? That might please my husband. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. He, he, you know, I grow something, and uh, 
I really, he'll eat it a little bit, and then I really don't want any more of this. Like, okay, yank out that plant. Uh, no cucumbers, no. no squash, no tomatoes. No tomatoes? Not yeah. even cherry tomatoes? Well, that's a that's arthritis sweet. thing. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, what about fruit, like pluots? Uh, fruity likes, yes. Okay. But it comes in all at once, you know, or yeah. you got big quantities, and so I make a lot of cobblers. Well, you could go to Seize Candy, buy the assortment box, and <laughs> plant that and see what comes up. I think I should try that. Yeah, see what happens. Caller number five in today's Garden Grappler is the turkey farmer from Granite Bay, Ted. Hi there, Fred. So, Ted, I was out biking on Friday, and I noticed that uh, you have a flock of turkeys. Were they at my gate? Yes, they were. Your gate was open. They were walking up your driveway. I figured that they were good friends of yours. They are not good friends of mine. No? Oh, okay. No, they dig around in everything that I've got. <laughs> they are not good friends. <laughs> well, they, hey, they, hey, did you get see my answer to what I think uh, Virginia Creeper? Oh, yeah. I, I forgot to uh, mention that on the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, Debbie. I was going to ask you, what is this vine growing through my fence? Oh. And a lot of people replied that it looks like Virginia Creeper. Parthenosynthesis. Parthenosynthesis. Tricuspidata. Or is it quinquifolia? Uh, yes, you're right. Quinquifolia is, I'm bad with common names, is Virginia Creeper. Boston oh. Ivy is, yeah, is Boston. Tricuspidata. Okay, well, I'm glad we got that straight now. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ted, you are the fifth caller. If you, okay. if you can come up with a green you could grow here that isn't cabbage, arugula, spinach, or kale... I have for you the 19, 2019 Sacramento County Master Gardener, Master Food Preserver, Gardening and Preserving Guide and Calendar that would probably get hand-delivered. I uh, uh, That would be perfect. And how about cilantro? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, is that a green per se? But you could use it as yeah. a green. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's what, you know, it, we... I just bought cilantro again for my salsa, but it's a winter crop here. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, it bolts in by May. Yeah. Now, but I'd yes. like to keep cilantro around through May and June because the flowers attract a lot of beneficial insects. Yes. Yes, yeah. letting it go to flower and seed yeah. is a good thing. Well, Ted, on your property, if a plant goes to seed, how would you even notice? <laughs> well, um, it used to. No, I, I've saved the seed. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, the little tiny round things, they're they're really good. Yeah. I got a question that you kind of raised in an email, and I'm wondering. Now, you built your house in Loomis. The house is now yes. in Granite Bay, so obviously yes. there was some rezoning going on. Yes. But, but you live on a very popular biking road, which is how I know where you live. It, it's called uh-huh. it, Itchy Acres. Yes. Now, when you built your house there back in the 1960s, did the name Itchy Acres exist? No. No. We were the, we were the first people to build and we had to go to the fire department and give a name. And I was 30 years old at the time, and I was uh, getting rid of all the poison oak and itching, itching, <laughs> itching. And so when I went to the fire department, they asked for a name, and I said, Itchy Acres. <laughs> and it and stuck. That's where it got its name. So here you go. All you bike, bikers out there who use Itchy Acres uh, on your route through Placer County, this is the guy that came up with the name Itchy Acres. Right. It wasn't mosquitoes. It was the poison oak. Yeah. Now, I, I bet you have still have poison oak there. I do not. Oh. I have <laughs> eradicated that. Believe it or not. Wow. 
at, uh, I, and I am so proud of myself because the growing up in all the uh, trees, the oak trees, some of it was, I don't know, two inches, you know, and all the way up. But uh, I am allergic to poison oak, and I still get it, and we do not have it on our property. Wow. Next door, if you, when you drive in on the left, that 10-acre parcel looks just like when we built, and it's full of poison oak. Ah, okay, that's where I noticed it. Okay, that's somebody yeah, else's the dog and The dog and cat go over there, and we come bring uh, it home. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, 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 that would happen, yeah. that's yeah. Uh, Well, now we know where the name Itchy Acres came from. Yeah. It came from Ted. No, I right. thought he was yeah. itching to get going at gardening, but I had that all wrong in my head. Nope, nope. that's where Itchy Acres came from. And then it's kind of grown and grown and grown. And by the way, that road did not go through out to uh, Joe Rogers. That has that. It's been quite a few years now, but uh, when we built, it only went stopped at our driveway and went out to Cabot Stallman, and that's why our kids went to Del Oro instead of uh, into Roseville to school. Okay, so Oak Pine uh, used to go by Itchy Acres. The Oak, I named that also. Oh. That kid, that came in off of Cabot Stallman, right? Dead end, uh, dead ends into Itchy Acres. Then Itchy Acres goes all the way around down out to Joe Rogers. Okay, so, so so for all the rich people on Oak Pine, you name that road too. <laughs> yes. Hey, now, you know, we were very unhappy when they changed that, because not only because we had to change all of our checks and everything, and but uh, we moved out here to be in the country, and uh, Granite Bay, you know, you go with the flow, yep. just like the road. We used for, I don't know how many, 20 years, my wife and I did it with the tractor. It would decompose granite. Oh, then, right. Actually, it's been 31 years since we put that road in. Wow. My grandson was born uh, 31 years ago. He's a pioneer. He's, yes, yes. Well, now you've got all the history. <laughs> okay, all right. And, and I'll, I'll make sure you get a Master Gardener calendar, too. Okay, and I you know, look forward to that special delivery. Yeah. And I have to say one more thing. Ground cherries that I got from the gal in Loomis, mm-hmm. I really kind of like them. I've been sharing them with everybody, and nobody's ever had them before. Wow. And uh, maybe next year when they all start coming up all over, I'll make some jam. Actually, Ted, I'm not going to give you the Sacramento County Master Gardener, Master Food Preserver Gardening Guide and Calendar because I just remembered that's Placer County. So I've got the Placer County Gardening Guide and Calendar for 2019 for you. All right. Perfect. I really like that. I'm looking at mine right now. I keep it on my desk here. Well, now you'll have a new one. All right. I really appreciate it. And thank you. Have a great uh, rest of the day. All right. So keep your guard dogs locked up next week so they don't attack me when I deliver the calendar. Buddy buddy will just lick you. I know. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. We'll take a short break. Debbie, you going to stick around? I think I can do that. Okay, good. We will do that. We we got lots to talk about. Got a garden question? Give us a call. 916-576-1578-866-331-8255. It's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Debbie Flower, we are answering your gardening questions. You can also, besides phoning us in with the questions at 916-576-1578, you can email them in to fred at farmerfred.com. And we'll get to your questions in a minute. Hey, there's garden events going on. For instance, 
right now at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center. It's the California Native Plant Society plant sale and art market going on until 3 o'clock today. California Native plants and a lot more drought-tolerant plants. A lot of people think that all California native plants are drought-tolerant. And, Debbie, we know that is not true. No, it is not true. I think one of the biggest mistakes we've seen in that regard have been the number of coast redwoods that were planted here in the valley. Yeah, and then we went through the drought, and now there are a lot of uh, dead or misshapen coast redwoods. Yeah, and uh, a lot are suffering, and uh, they need regular water. The other uh, misnomer, uh, misconception about California native plants that are drought-tolerant, you go out, you buy a plant today, you stick it in the ground, and you think, oh, it's drought-tolerant. I don't you need to away. water it. Yeah. You walk no. away. No, it needs water for until it's established, and that could be, what, a year, two years? Official establishment is three to five years, oh. but the first to get it, what you need, the first thing you have to do is get those roots to grow out of the container media. Container media is what it's grown in in the pot, and it's it's proper for it's a proper texture. It's got it holds water just right. It has nutrition in it, and plant uh, weeds roots yeah. are um, opportunists. They're lazy. They're going to hang out where it's easiest to hang out. Then you put it in your soil, whatever your soil is. Uh, and that's very different, and it takes a while to get those roots out into that field soil. That's your first step. That can take six weeks, two months, something and, like and that. And the easiest way to do that is with moisture. Yes, you control the moisture. For you, you want you have to keep watering just the container soil that the plant came in. Um, in a nursery, they could be watered daily yeah. with temperatures we're having this week. Um, as it gets cooler, you would go back on that. Uh, cut back on that, not do it daily. And you have to have enough to replace the water that is in the container. So for a number one pot of one gallon, people call them about a quart of water uh, would be needed when you do that watering. And then once a week, you want to water only around the outside of the pot, not in the container soil. Uh, although you may be doing both the same day. Because the con- the field soil around that container soil will hold water uh, longer and the container soil itself will hold water. And so you need to do that uh, for about six weeks. Will it hold water longer, or by osmosis, would it actually flow to that potting soil because uh, it can? It actually tends to go the other way. Oh, really? From the potting soil to the field soil, yes. So So that field soil dries out the potting soil. That's why you have to be so... On top of watering the container soil. So if you have a heavy clay soil, naturally, that tends to stay moist, that water would still flow from that potting soil into the clay soil? Yes. It's what? slow, but yeah. it happens. What principle is that? I have it's a not of slides I wanted. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is osmosis. It is osmosis. Mm-hmm. Going from an area of greater concentration to an area of less concentration. It's not so much about concentration as particle size. That water travels along the particle. It doesn't travel in the spaces unless the soil is saturated. The way water moves is along the particles. There are so many more particles and so much more surface area in a clay soil that you have a picture a bowling ball and water around it and then picture a gumball and and water around it, which there's more water around the bowling ball than the gumball. But if you get a whole lot of gumballs together that make up the same size as the bowling ball, you have a lot more surface area. And so the amount of water that's covering one bowling ball probably won't cover a bowling ball's worth of gumballs. 
that make sense? Yeah, let me make a note here. Do not <laughs> amend soil with bowling gum, balls or gumballs. Or, or gumballs, right. Okay. right. Uh, so it has to do with surface area and that so that it takes more water to coat the surface of the clay uh, outside of the container soil than to coat the particles in the container soil. And so it pulls the water right out of it. Huh. So the container soil dries out very quickly. And if you've managed plants in containers, you know that that, that can happen, that you in the summer you water daily, or if they're in the sun, you water more than daily. Um, yeah, it's a hard – I have a set of slides. It's a hard concept to – to uh, get your head around. You're hurting my head right now. <laughs> yeah. So would mulch help moderate that? Mulch helps, you know, cool soil, uh, reduce evaporation, but it doesn't stop the movement, the sideways movement of the water mm, uh, into, okay. from the container soil into the field soil. Okay. Well, you just blew my mind. Yeah, right. it's, a, it's a, one of the least well understood concepts in gardening, I think. Yeah. It's it's and like I say, it's like we hear just the opposite that water would flow from an area where there's more water to an area where there's less water. And in the case depends of depends what's holding it. Yeah. Gumballs or bowling balls. Right. All right. I'm gonna have to stop reading upcoming garden events and answer a call here that I can answer. Oh okay. that sounds good. Yeah, let's do that. Edie in Sacramento, thanks for calling again. Oh, you're welcome. You hung me up the last time. Well, I did, oh, we no. didn't hang you up, we just ran out of time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have That's what they a all say. problem rose bush. It's a beautiful rose. It's a double delight. But it goes, the branches, instead of sort of combining to grow up, they all grow out, out. You know, it's like one's going east, one's going west, one's going north, one's going south. They're all, there's not much middle. Is there any way to, if I prune that back all the way down to where it was when we got it, would that reshape it, do you think? Are there prevailing winds in your area? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Sorry, I've uh, never heard no. this one before. Oh, and I have other rose bushes out there at the same mm-hmm. with the same exposure. They get afternoon sun, and uh, they're fine. This is the uh, We have about 35 rose bushes, and I don't have anything to look looks like this and is it just recently or has it done it its whole life i think it's about five or six years old and it's uh, grown that way always so is there a micronutrient deficiency that could be causing something like that i think it's genetic i don't think there's a way around it i think it's genetic too yeah um you know pruning you prune back i'm sure you know how to prune roses if you've got so many but you prune, oh yeah yeah you prune back to the five leafleted leaf that points in the direction where you want the next branch to grow um but it's a very common branch structure uh in many plants the whole mint family does that um where where the uh branches stick out one direction 90 degrees from the the stem, and then does the next set above or below stick out 90 degrees in the opposite direction? Yeah, that, that's about right. Uh, and that's that's the way they grow. They continue to grow. You know, they yeah. it gets tall. Well, you know, we keep it right. reasonably. I think that maybe you're onto something and that there are people who would love this plant and that you should propagate it and sell it. <laughs> Why would they love it? Um, it's more a more formal presentation. 
Oh, okay. Uh, more structural. You know, you see these landscapes that are done with pots of, you know, three dracaenas or, or cordylines or something, uh, you know, three plants in a pot over here that, that are very structural. They use very upright, stiff yeah. things. Yeah. Uh, it would fit right into a landscape like that. That may uh-huh. not be your, you know, that's not how most roses are, but I think there's a market for it. Well, they're nice blossoms, and they have a wonderful aroma. Oh, wow. And what it's variety of rose? said Double Delight. It, double Delight, huh? Yeah, uh-huh. and it's two, two colors. It's a pink with rose. Sort of white with red edge. Wow, you you have a dual personality. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's its own person. Yeah. Okay, right. so pruning it way down wouldn't help. You can try it and then propagate those cuttings. Uh-huh. And then uh, take them to an independent nursery and see if they'll sell them. I'll send it to you, Debbie. There. <laughs> I, I love to grow things. It's the selling part that I'm not on top of. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised, surprised Baldo hasn't called yet. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what I was wondering, if he'd have an answer to it. Well, well you yeah. would be a good person to ask. Yeah, shoot me an email. We'll find okay. out. All Thanks. right. Okay, Edie. Bye. Thanks for calling. All right, yeah. It's the weather. <laughs> I don't know. It's the squirrels. Wasn't that our last answer? Yes, it, it's the squirrels. That's right. The way they're gnawing on it is directing the shape of the plant. Right. All right. We'll take a short break. More Get Growing on the Way on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Debbie Flower, answering your gardening questions, we'll delve into your email and uh, talk about upcoming garden events. This afternoon from 2 to 4 o'clock, it's a year-round kitchen garden talk put on by the Yolo County Master Gardeners. That'll be at the Mary Stevens Library at uh, 315 East 14th Street in Davis. And uh, you'll get tips on edible flowers and herbs of the fall garden, planting a winter garden from seed, planting garlic and onions, and cover plants such as uh, fava beans. Coming up Thursday evening from 6 until 8.30 at the Citrus Heights Community Center, it's a water smart workshop. Sacramento Tree Foundation will uh, also be there to talk about young tree pruning. And you are going to learn uh, tips for fall and winter maintenance that will keep your trees and plant-based landscape healthy and beautiful, as opposed to your plastic flamingo-based landscape. <laughs> That's uh, It's a free 6 to 8.30 uh, Thursday evening at the Citrus Heights Community Center. Also Thursday evening, Sacramento Perennial Plant Club at 7 p.m. It's a free meeting. Pam Bone will be there. And she's going to be talking about fertilizing 101, why, how, and when she will be convincing you to under-fertilize rather than Mm over-fertilize. And uh, that is a free talk, 7 p.m. at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center at 3330 McKinley Boulevard. The Auburn Home Show is going on next weekend, next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Placer County Master Gardeners will be out there to answer your garden questions and also to offer up their 2019 gardening guide and calendar that you can purchase for Placer, Nevada, and Amador County. So at the Auburn Home Show, they will be there doing that. Let's see what else is going on here. Next weekend is the uh, a lot of plant sales going on especially at the UC Davis Arboretum next Saturday at 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. The uh, plant sales are at the UC Davis Arboretum Teaching Nursery. And uh, don't forget, members of the Arboretum get a 10% discount, and you can uh, join at the door and get that discount as well. So there's all that. By the way, that Placer County uh, uh, Garden Guide 
is available at many Placer and Nevada County nurseries, El Dorado County too, such places as Peaceful Valley Farm Supply, Oto Orchard, High Hand Nursery, Flower Farm Nursery, the Green Acre Nursery locations in Roseville and Rockland, and El Dorado Nursery in Shingle Springs, the Golden Gecko in Garden Valley all have that Placer County 2019 gardening guide and calendar. Sacramento County a gardening guide and calendar available at nurseries throughout Sacramento County as well. So there's all that. All right. Um, email from yeah. Texas Tom. But I've learned that Tom lives in the Florin area. So, oh, really? Yeah. That's just his nickname. Yeah, so that confused me for a Got while. It. All right. So he asks, are there any dwarf walnut trees that can grow here in Florin? Well, that's a Dave Wilson nursery question. How about Pedro? Pedro is a popular Dave Wilson nursery uh uh, walnut variety that they offer, and uh, they claim that the Pedro is a very small tree, less than two-thirds the size of other varieties, and it's self-pollinating. Well, but two-third, less than two-thirds the size of a... big tree. It's still a big tree, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you want? I mean, it's like... Has anybody tried bushing them, you know, like bushing a cherry, cutting them to a bush size? When uh, we lived in Harold, I did keep my walnut trees at maybe nine feet tall. That's pretty good. Yeah, and I had a crop every year. No, was How much pruning did you have to do? Not that much, really. Because that's something to think about when we put a plant in the garden is we want it to fit this spot. So how much pruning am I going to have to do? How much green waste am I going to end up creating? A lot of that green waste still ends up in the landfill. Um, that's why you own a chipper shredder. Yeah, yeah. and then you have to uh, fire it up and use power and... You know, there are some ecological Pardon me for breathing. Of it. <laughs> Sound like my grandmother when my grandfather wasn't happy with her. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but, I mean, well, you know, there's trade-offs for everything. Yeah, there are. Yeah. So what, but what, what uh, are you we do? can control some of them. The, the fact that you didn't have to prune, well, was it a Pedro walnut you had? No, it was a Hartley. So that's a, and that's a normal-sized walnut tree. And so basically... I think because of the soil and Harold kept it, it kind of dwarfed. Slow grower. It was yeah, a slow so grower. Yeah, so there's some yeah. other things you could control in the yeah. environment of that plant to keep it smaller. Yeah. So, but, I mean, like I say, it did produce walnuts. That's cool. Yeah. So I was happy That's with that. That's very cool. All right. Let's go to the phones. Let's talk with uh, Pamela here in Sacramento. Hi, Pamela. Hello, Farmer Fred. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. And Phoebe says hello. Hi, Phoebe. Um, <laughs> uh Goji berry. I have a thriving goji berry. Oh, good. Uh, gosh, maybe, I don't know, six years old or so. And I have um, been remiss on my pruning efforts, um, and I'm researching when to prune, and it may come off of SF Gate, which I think we've already established is hit and miss you know, now. How well SF Gate helps us here in Sacramento, but the, well, the good point um, about SF Gate and the garden advice they have—they usually list their sources or have links to their sources, so you can get a better idea of where they're coming from. Okay, thank you. Um, it does talk about what I printed out says: wait for winter for maintenance pruning, and then there's also the summer pruning, just like other stone fruit trees. But uh, is there any pruning I could? Do right now? Do you think would I would I harm it? it it's a, quite a bit overgrown and fallen over, and I, I'm trying to get the shape back. Do I need to wait till winter? Is it a multi-trunk shrub? I've only it grown is. them from seed, so I haven't seen them very big. It is okay. Um, 
then okay my short my short answer is yes i think you can do some pruning now for shaping um great but i think ultimately what you want to establish with pruning that shrub is that you uh get on your tummy and and take out one third of the oldest uh stems at the soil line i was looking at my elderberry last night thinking i need to do this too Hmm. um that helps keep it more open so the stems stems get strong by moving in the wind. If they're too crowded or they're rubbing against something else, they don't get strong. They can't move enough to to exercise basically. And so by thinning it out, you'll help that it maintain its strength. You'll help keep the fruiting wood in the plant um, active all the time, and uh, you'll help prevent disease and insects because you've opened it up for beneficials and for air to flow through. Uh, so that could be that's what you would do for the winter pruning. For right now, if it's you know if it's falling over and it's in the way, I would just uh, cut that back, not a lot, but just to shape it, and then I'd go in mm-hmm. during dormancy and and do the uh, renewal pruning. It's called removing one third of the the stems all the way at the soil line. What'll happen then next season when growth begins is you'll get new shoots from the base, from the soil line, and uh, mm-hmm. so next year when you do the process again during dormancy, uh, you'll take out wood that's two years old essentially you end up in a cycle of always taking out wood that's two years old and then letting the plant germinate new wood wow does it does well, that have a preferential a height thank you um no but you end you typically end up taking out the tallest because they're the oldest yeah so you're probably keeping it at about five feet tall yes this is how a nandina should be a, yeah. a nandina species should be pruned um, this is how elderberries should be pruned. This is how uh, lilacs should be pruned. Um, crepe myrtles. Crepe myrtles, <laughs> yes. if you're, they're left to be a shrub, yes. Yeah. Uh, so anything that sprouts multi-trunks from the soil line. And you can tell the oldest ones because they're usually the thickest, and they'll have a different color, more barky looking outside. It won't be as smooth. It'll be rougher. We have to go. Oh, Pamela, thank you. And Phoebe, thanks for calling. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. All right, time for us to get on out of here. Debbie, thank you for coming down here. Debbie Flowers. Always a pleasure. I, I think you'll make a reappearance on the show. I think I will, too. Good. All right, yeah. good. In a month or so. You, to blow our minds again <laughs> on bowling balls, balls, and soil. All people right. will understand All right. it. Yeah. Stay tuned for the KSDE Farm Hour. Coming up next, we take a look at the... Uh, Winds and rain that pummeled the Carolinas. How will that affect crop prices here in California? We'll find out. Bye-bye.